James is a, a preacher that uh, sent this out to the churches, and I think it's uh, interesting as being one of the first uh, letters written that, uh, I don't know if encouraging is the right word, but to know that even the churches back then had problems and had issues. And how did they work through them? Well, James, he's sort of a blue-collar type preacher, and he just sort of cuts right to the chase. And as he's been going through this, just this first chapter so far, he's talked about uh, testing our faith and having patience. And patience isn't something that we have much in this world anymore. We don't like to wait on the Lord for things. As a matter of fact, I saw um, somebody posted a scripture, I think it was Isaiah 60, 22, it said, you know, when the, when the time is right, I, the Lord, will accomplish it. And I wonder sometimes how much we really wait upon the Lord for these things. But he talked about that. He talked about having patience in our walk. And it's all going to come in because as we get into talking about the tongue and our attitudes, all these things, patience is an important part. Verse 14, he says, but when each one is tempted, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so he was talking about sometimes how we blame and where we really need to look at as the origin of our sin, and it's with us. And so last week we talked about an unrighteous anger. So I talked about the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of anger. We talked about what is, what is the righteousness of God, or the, the wrath of man, the anger of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. What is that righteousness? And much of our anger and wrath comes from really being self-centered and not other-centered. We're usually thinking about our, ourselves and our anger. And so he says, be swift to hear. And that's a way that we can be other-centered. We're listening to people. We're hearing them, not just thinking of what we're going to say or how we're going to be responding but really listen to them. Listen to what they have to say because, again, as we shared last week, when you listen to words, sometimes you can um, get way more out of it than the words that are spoken. And then to be slow to speak is another way to be other-centered. So giving people that opportunity to share without always having uh, to give that answer. So, uh, And our anger almost always defends or promotes our agenda. When we look at things that we get angry over in this world... <coughs> Most always, it's about us. We've made it about us. And James is saying, you know, it's about the Lord. And we just sang that beautiful hymn, Because He Lives. You know, it's all about what Jesus has done in our life. And so, we've talked about standing firm again against this unrighteous anger. And again, the righteousness in the dictionary gives us sort of a justifiable thing uh, by the world's standards. The Bible's definition, if you go look at the Greek word for it, is really promoting God's attributes in our, in our thoughts, in our actions, the desires of our heart. And that's where James sort of tackles us a little bit today as we talk about standing firm against the lust of the flesh. And so, you know, early on we talked about uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And that all sin go to these things, the lust of the flesh, we see something, we want it. We're, we're driven by that. Uh, the lust of the flesh can be all sorts of things. Sometimes we can think of it in a physical sense. Sometimes it's um, wanting revenge. It's wanting our pound of, of flesh in something. It's getting our, ourselves satisfied in something of our life. And then the pride of life, and, and the Bible talks probably more about pride than anything else in this world. And that's always, 
either having to be right or always having that inside track of things of, of where we're at and or not wanting to be wrong. And so facing that and admitting that, and James is going to deal with us in humbleness. And so as we go today, we're going to start out when uh, 21, I think it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So this all overflow of filthiness and, and wickedness. We don't like to think of ourselves in this manner. Again, I think that's the sin of pride that gets in there. But sin is described as that, as a filthiness and wickedness. Things that are done against God's word, against God's attributes, against God's nature. And so it has this sense of really living impurely. So we desire to be pure, to be holy, God says, as he is holy. But we are to lay aside all impurity, putting it far away from us. We're not to keep our feet in both avenues of, of, of life, you know, sort of dabbling in this and dabbling in that and dabbling in our faith. We're to make a commitment to God. After all, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. He gave his life that I might have eternal life. And so, uh, again, because he lives, because he lives, he's given me eternal life. And so when we really look at what Christ has done for us, we should have no want or desire to really dabble in sinful things in our life. Now we do have the sin nature in us. We are going to be pulled those ways, but he who is in you is greater than he who is of this world. And so we can have victory through Jesus Christ. And so Trapp tells us this, all filthiness. He says, the stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. Sin is the devil's vomit, the soul's excrement, the indulgence or garbage of wickedness. And I like that. I like that description of sin because when we talk about excrement, excrement or vomit or, or uh, this, this uh, ulcer that's festering inside, it gives a good description. And that's how God looks at sin. And you know, we have this, this thing in our life sometimes where we look at some people's sins differently than our own sins. And God tells us, you know, it was the simple sin of disobedience that lost mankind. You realize that? When you talk about Adam and Eve, he just said, don't eat this apple. And they went and ate that apple. That was a sin of disobedience. You wouldn't say, well, they didn't murder anybody. They didn't, you know, rob a bank. They weren't, you know, living in sin or anything. It was a simple sin of disobedience. Sort of shows us the, the gravity of sin in the world. And the gravity of sin that, that we should have in this. It's sort of like when you tell your grandchild, uh, no cookies until dinner time. And they go and, and take that cookie. It's the same type of a sin. It's a sin of disobedience in our life. And so we're to lay those things around. And the thing about an ulcer is an ulcer is inside. When I was a young child, I had, I had ulcers all the time, it seemed. And the doctors would say that ulcers can sometimes come from outside influence. So when we talk about sin, it's something inside of us. It's something that we need to deal with. We can try to blame it on outside things. So they can say, oh, stress can do that. Um, you know, your, your eating habits, your, you know, sleeping habits, all these other things can, can cause this ulcer. Well, in the world, we have a lot of things that draw us, a lot of things that tempt us, a lot of things that are after us. And we can say, well, that's the reason that I sin. But we have an obligation. 
We have a responsibility to deal with that which is in us, and that's our sin nature. And so he tells us this, to receive with meekness the implanted word of God. So when we read God's word, what does it, what does it do to you? What kind of changes does it make? Because this is in contrast to the, to the impure living that goes on in the world today. It, it's in contrast to the, the sin that we all wrestle with in life. He says, receive with meekness this implanted word. And we need to do that humbly. For one thing, when we read God's word, um, it steps on my toes all the time. As I've gone through James, I probably shared it with you. I've probably read James, I would think, maybe more than any other book in the, in the Bible. I've read it and read it and read it over and over. And every time I read it, it speaks to me in different ways. And it steps on my toes and it, it bristles my hair because I see the areas in my life where maybe I've fallen short. And so when we receive this implanted word, we need to do it humbly. We don't just read it and, and just say, well, that's for them. No, we say, what is God speaking to me about? Again, 98% of the word of God, I believe, this is my own statistic, by the way, is written for me. When I read the word of God, it's written for me to apply to my life, that I might be a light in the world. It's not meant to be necessarily a weapon for me to go around beating other people with. It is something that we will stick up, and we're going to talk about it as a mirror in a little bit, to show others what the truth is. But when I read the word of God, my first intention needs to be that I am reading it for me. God, what are you saying to me? What is it in my life that I need to do? And that takes a humble spirit. Because some of us have been raised in churches. Some of us got hundreds of verses memorized. Some of us are walking concordances of, of the Bible. But are we coming to God's word humbly and letting him speak to us? Are we having these attributes that James is talking about? Of laying aside those things. Of having patience of God and his work in our life. One of the things that uh, Spurgeon wrote again, and, and, and I like these guys because they just sort of cut right to the chase. He says this, the first thing then is to receive. That word receive is a very instructive gospel word. It is the door through which God's grace enters into us. And so when we come to God humbly, we're coming to receive. How many of you read the word of God saying, you know, and maybe even praying. I always say it's good to pray before you read the word or get into a Bible study or anything. Lord, show us. Show me what I need to know. That's a humbleness. And then you need a teachable spirit. Now, we live in a society, we live in a country today where a lot of that's gone away. Everybody's got the answer, right? And very few of us, even good Christian people, are not teachable. They don't want to hear because they've already made up their mind. They've already made the decision. They already got the... They got God in the box. And so that's where they believe. And they stand firmly believing that that's the truth. But they're not teachable. Are you teachable to what God's word would have to say to you? And so it says it's a very uh, instructive thing to be receiving something. Because to receive something, you need to be open to that. Your heart needs to be open. Your mind needs to be open to what God is saying. And it's the way it says, Spurgeon says, that grace enters into us. We are not saved by working, but by receiving. Not by what we have given to God, but by what God has given to us or what we receive for him. So God is going to give us the things that we need to deal with the situations that we face each and every day. And we each face things each and every day. If it's health issues, if it's monetary things, if it's, you know, gas prices are going up. you got food to feed your family. We face these struggles each and every day. 
Do we depend on our own resources or do we go to God? Do we look to him for those answers? So it says, be doers of the word, verse 22, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of this work, this one will be blessed in all that he does. To be a doer of the word. He says, be a doer, not a hearer, only deceiving yourselves. See, there's a lot of Christians that believe they just need to come and they just need to hear the word. I'm in church today. I'm hearing the word of God. Oh, well, that, that's, that's good enough. I've listened to Christian radio. I listen to Christian music. I know the lyrics of all the songs. That's good enough. See, we can be hearers of all these things. But are you a doer of what you hear? That's the important thing. Because if you're just a hearer, James is saying, and God through James, I should say, you're deceiving yourself. You're just having this empty hollowness that's going on. We must receive God's word as doers, not as hearers. <laughs> and so one of the reasons that James was sort of um, debated as, as canon uh, to be put into the Bible is because he focuses a lot on works. But James is very clear. We don't do our works for salvation. We do our works because of salvation. Amen. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying if you are truly a born-again believer, if you truly have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to do what God would have you to do. You want to walk closer to him. And listen, we all struggle with things, and it's hard sometimes to let things go because that's just our nature. But our desire is to do that. You know, God said of David, he's a man after my own heart. God had committed adultery. He had, he had uh, you know, committed murder, basically set all these things up. David was a broken man, but he had a heart after God. Do you have a heart after God? Are you seeking to walk closer to him? And so there's a, the, the ancient word for people to hear a teacher was this, that, that you could become a disciple. So uh, a disciple doesn't always mean that somebody is a Christian. Okay, so we can be a disciple in the flesh. So if you have uh, these philosophers that were around in the Greek times, they would have students that would come and listen to them. So they could listen to them, but if they started applying what they had to say and trying to live what these people had to say, then they became those people's disciples. And so when we think about our relationship with Jesus, it's sort of the same way. There's a lot of people that fill the churches up or, or listen to uh, devotionals or read things, and, and they're, they're hearers. They're coming and they're hearing what God's word says, but they're not disciples. See, a disciple is somebody that's going to put into practice that which he is hearing. And that's why the Great Commission says, go and teach them all things. You know, we need to teach one another. We need to encourage one another in the walk. We need to get them in the classroom, which I would call the church, so they can hear the word of God, so they can... Be convicted by the Holy Spirit because, you know, I, I don't want the responsibility of being anybody's Holy Spirit. I just want to be a mirror, as we're going to talk about in a moment, that shows the truth to others. But we want them in the classroom so they can hear what's right, the way that they need to live, the way that God desires them to live. And, you know, God writes these things not to confine us in our life. He writes these things because it's best for our life. You know that God wants the best for you? He wants the absolute best for you. And we don't listen to him. And we don't apply his word. And so we take it into our own ways and our own hands. And that's why the scripture says there's a way that seems right unto a man. But its end is destruction. 
you know? We take it into our own hands because we don't wait upon the Lord. And so, to be a disciple, Jesus wants us to be a disciple, not just a hearer, but a doer. And so a disciple is a doer as we think about this. And when we think about the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about where do you build your house? And it says some built the, their, their house on the sand. And what happened? When the storms came, you know, the waves roared up, what happened? The house was destroyed, wasn't it? And it says great was its destruction. But the one who built his house on the rock, it says the storms and all this came. And that house stood because it was built on a good foundation. Are you building on a good foundation? That's the word of God. That's when we're a doer of the word. We're building on God's word. Or we're building our life, our trust, our faith. All of our things revolve around God, not on our own self, not on our own circumstances, not on our own ways, but on God. And it says the storms came and that house stood. God wants to prepare us for the storms of life. We look at Ukraine, we look at the world today, we look at gas prices, we look at food shortages. I mean, you, you can, there's a million different things. COVID, we sort of forgot about COVID now that Ukraine's come. But there's all these things going around the, the world today. And we could get very, very overwhelmed and very, very, you know, uh, self-centered. You know, how am I going to make this? How are we going to, how are we, and we're not looking to God. We need to look to God first. We need to be spending more time in prayer now, you know, probably than we ever have. We see the end times coming. Do you got a private prayer life? Are you speaking with God about these things? Are you searching those things out? Are you ready to weather the storms of this life and of this world? And if you, if you are built on that rock, you will. You know the sovereignty of God. God is in control. You know, that's the big battle between man and God the whole time is man always wants to be in control and control things. And God says, I'm sovereign. I am the Lord your God. I am in control. Do you believe in him? Do you believe and trust in him? I find great peace in the world. It's not that I don't worry about things. It's not that I turn a blind eye to things. But I really believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control and that God sees the things. And in God's time, he's going to accomplish his will through these things. That takes a whole weight off of me. Because sometimes I used to think, well, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta, I gotta keep control of all these things. So much better when I can just say, you know, Lord, you're in control. I'm laying it at your foot. I'm praying for this, but I'm laying it at your feet. Lord, you are in control. I trust in you. Moffat said this: a teacher or preacher may give a, a eloquent address on the gospel or explain skillfully some old testament prophecy about Christ. But when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. And if they content themselves with sentimental admiration or with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion. He's talking about, I think, the modern church today. We come and we, we get some emotional high out of a church or we get some satisfaction with this or that. But he says when the, sermon is not, when the sermon is done, it is not done. What do you do with the word of God when you leave this place? What do you do with the scriptures and the devotions as, as Jerry shared today or the scriptures that we read today? What do you do with those to apply those things to your life? Spurgeon goes on to say, I fear that we have many such in all congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, 
attached hearers, but all the while unblessed hearers, because they are not doers of the word. See, God wants us to be blessed in our life. Not necessarily financially and tangibly and things like that, but blessed in our life. Having a peace in our life that surpasses all understanding. When I look at the world today, I see brokenness. I see people that they don't have peace in their life. They're just always in an uproar. They're always in a stir. Something's always going on. And you can just tell that they don't have that peace that surpasses all understanding. They haven't yielded those things to God. And he talks about observing his natural face in this, right? As he goes on, Spurgeon says this, the glass of the word, talking about the word of God, so if we look at this as a mirror, the glass of the word is not like our ordinary looking glass, which merely seeks to show our external features, right? So when I get up in the morning, uh, the only time I really like to look in the mirror anymore is like if I'm shaving or if I really got something that I have to. Because I find when I look in the mirror, it seems like I always have an extra wrinkle or maybe bigger bags under my eyes or I'm finding more gray hair. So it's like, I don't really need to look in the mirror. You know, I don't, I don't want to. But for those that want to make themselves better, right? So I, I'm not a makeup person, but some of you gals, you like that. Or some of you, you know, I do it when I shave because I don't want to have half a mustache. And, you know, so I'm looking in the mirror for those things. But when we look in the mirror, we, we find things. We find faults in our life. And it's so easy just to say, you know what? I don't want to look at those wrinkles. I don't want to look at those gray hairs. So I can look in the mirror while I shave, and then I walk away, and then I, I just think I'm a young guy again. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay, right? People treat the Word of God like that sometimes. And that's what he's talking about here. He goes on to say this. He says, um, but according to the Greek of our text, this is Spurgeon again, the man sees in it the face of his birth, that is, the face of his nature. So as we look at God's word as a mirror, and we look at ourselves, he says, you see the face of your birth, the face of your nature. God's word has a way of, of just revealing stuff about us that sometimes we don't like to face, but there are always things that we need to face. He says, the, uh, the face of the birth, the face of the nature, that he reads and hears the word may see not only his actions there, okay, not only our sinful actions, but the motives. Isn't it amazing that God's word can even show us sometimes the motives of why we do things? Because I think it's wonderful. His desires, his inward condition. So we go back to the ulcer of sin. You can have that inward sin in, in your life, and you can try to ignore it, you can deny that you have it, but eventually it affects your life. It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect the things that go on in your life and around your life. And pretty soon, if those things aren't taken care of, you become sick. Even at the Lord's table, when 1 Corinthians, when uh, Paul was teaching about the Lord's table, he says, this is why many of you are sick amongst you. And that's spiritually sick as well as physically sick. We get spiritually sick because we don't use the word of God as a mirror in our life. He goes on to say this, certain preachers dream that it is their business to paint pretty pictures, but that's not so. We are not to design and sketch, but simply to give the reflection of truth. So we're not the Holy Spirit, but we just say, 
what does God's word say? We show them this reflection of truth. We are to hold up the mirror to nature in a moral and spiritual sense and let men see themselves there within. So again, as we share the word of God with people, as I study through this, it's like a mirror to me. I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, I, I got things in my life that I need to deal with. There's things in my life that I need to still yield. There's a humbleness that I need to still obtain in my life. These are things, characteristics, as James is talking about, them, that I need to apply. I need to work more on my hearing. Work more on my listening towards people. Work more on being slow to speak. It says we have not even to make the mirror. So sometimes we think, well, we need to add things into the Word of God to make it sensational, to make it more convicting, more poignant. God's Word is perfect. We don't need to add to it. As a matter of fact, the back of Revelation says we shouldn't add to it or take from it. We just present what the Word of God says. So all we need to do is hold it up. And it says the Word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a man his life, his thoughts, his heart. His innermost self. That's the word of God. And that's why I say it's so important that you read your Bible. It's so important that you do devotions with your family or with yourself. That you can read the word of God. You don't need somebody to tell you what it says. Read it for yourself. The Holy Spirit speaks through the word of God. The word of God is alive and active, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Cuts through the bone and marrow of the spirit and the it's, it's there. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us. And, and so a healthy person, they look in the mirror to do something. When I look in the mirror, it's because I want to do something. When we look in the Word of God, do you want to do something? And that's why James is saying, be a doer of the Word, not a hearer only. Do you look at God's Word to be wanting to do something? Clark closes out this way. The doctrines of God faithfully preached are such a mirror. He who hears cannot help discovering his own character and being affected with his own deformity. I like that. Do we think about us being deformed? The Bible tells us don't think higher of yourselves than you ought to, right? We think sometimes we paint ourselves as like perfect little Christians. We got it all figured out. We got it all right. You know, I'm up here. They're down here. But Clark is telling us, and again, this is a man just giving his opinion, but I like it. He says when we look into God's word, we see our deformity. We see our ugliness. We see our sinful nature. We see the things that Jesus came to give his life for, for us to reconcile us back to the Father. So he goes on to say, and being affected with his own deformity, he sorrows and purposes amendment, purposes in his heart to follow God, to go the right way. But when the preaching is over, the mirror is removed, he soon forgets what manner of man he was. He reasons himself out of the necessary necessity of repentance and amendment of life and thus deceives the soul. What Clark is really saying is you can gather here today, you can hear a word of God. Maybe even as you're sitting here today, you're thinking of things in your life that, that don't match with what God would desire for you to have. But for a lot of us, we walk out the door, we sort of forget what was said and, and we're back to our life as normal. We're a hearer of the word but we're not a doer. When we leave, we should take the word of God with us. That's why I encourage people, you know, before the messages and after the messages, continue to read through James. You know where we're going with this. We're going to be going through the whole book. Continue to read it. Let God speak to you through these things. And it says, he who looks in, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, 
and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of this work, this one will be blessed in all he does. The one who looks into really gives this, uh, the meaning of the word is this penetrating examination. It's not just a glance. It's a penetrating look. It's really looking deeper into it. I, I sort of picture in my mind like a jeweler that puts that thing in his eye and he's really looking at that diamond for, for flaws or, or character uh, things. When you look at the Word of God, do you look at it in a penetrating way? Penetrating examination, really looking to say, Lord, what is it in my life? What, what do you need to say to me that I can be more like you? Less of me, more like you. Do we have that? And then the word um, translated continues really means to, to, to take the time. It's par- parametus is what I think the word is. And it says, take time to see and examine the state of his soul, the grace of his God, the extent of his duty, and the height of his promised glory. To continue in. That's a doer. Somebody who continues. Are you a continuer or are you quitting on God? A lot of people just quit on God. They, they get... They get tired. They, they get burdened. They don't think God hears them. We talked about that in the previous chapters. And so they just wave the white flag and, and go their way. God tells us a couple things. Examine the word closely. Continue in it. He who continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. I just pray that for each of us, myself included, that I'm not a forgetful hearer. When I listen to, to sermons, I listen to some pastors that I, uh, all the time, and I, I really like them. And sometimes I get daydreaming as I'm driving and I'm listening to them or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 i got to back up and i got to pay attention to, to what they're saying. Because sometimes I'm really captivated by what they're speaking about, and then it always seems like something comes up and I'm drifting in my mind somewhere else. That's sort of how Satan works in our lives. You know, when God is doing a work, all of a sudden he gets active. And he wants to get in there and distract however he can. And so it says this perfect law of liberty. You know, we had the old law. The old law was, you know, we're under the bondage of sin and all these things that, that we need to do. You need to do this and this and this and this. And it says, by grace you've been saved, not of works. Lest anyone should boast, now we're under grace. Doesn't diminish anything that God's word has said. And we have this law of liberty. All that means is that Christ has set us free. He was without sin became sin for us. And it's a wonderful way, really, to describe God's word in this new covenant that Jesus has given to us and talks about. God reveals to us a law, but it's a law of liberty. It's the one that says the Holy Spirit has written it on our heart. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you're tuning them out? Sometimes people don't like quiet. Can you imagine that? Sometimes, you know, like, People, when they're just in a quiet spot, they need something on. They need white noise, they'll call it, or background noise. or They need something going because when it's too quiet, it just drives them crazy. I think sometimes God speaks to us in those quiet moments. And I would encourage each of you to have a, a quiet prayer time. You know, a time where, where you can just focus on God. Whenever you speak to Him, let Him speak to you. It's liberty, it's freedom. It's found only in Christ. My prayer is that we all be doers of the word. If we're all doers of the word, not hearers only, I think we're really going to make a difference in our communities, in our families, and in the world around us. Let's pray.